Hello, everybody, and welcome to the One County Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Paul Davis, and today we are talking about the movie Joker. <laughs> and we have someone with us, the actual Joker, um, the co-founder of One County Film Company, is here with us. How, how are we doing, Tim? You wouldn't get it. <laughs> yes. Uh, just so many Joker quotes. impressions what did you think of this oh my gosh first impressions i really like this movie so i've seen it twice now i saw it with um my wife samantha and then the next night i saw it with you <laughs> i was just kind of ready to go back i think it was disturbing i think it was it looked really great it looked really beautiful i think joaquin phoenix is probably our best actor working right now. <laughs> I like how people say our, our best actor. Yeah. Like he's, like we own him. Yeah. <laughs> As a part of the human race. Yes. He's our best actor right the, now. The cultural moment. Yes. Um, I am fascinated by the cultural discussion going on around the film. I'm confused and a little bit angry <laughs> about the critical discussion surrounding the film. I think it's definitely a 2019 film. It was made for this moment. And uh, after seeing it the first time, I kind of left being like, is it wrong for me to like this? Like, is this, is this a messed up, twisted, dark movie? Or, I mean, yeah, I guess it is, but <laughs> is that okay? Is that okay that it is it okay that it exists? And I think since seeing it a second time and since then I'm like, yeah, it's this this is it's great that this exists. But overall impression, I liked it. I'm interested in seeing it again. Um, but I think there's a lot to talk about. What about you? I think regardless of what one thinks about it, um talking about this movie is separate from our sort of once a month artist movie series where we discuss a movie about uh or a biopic or something like that about an artist or their life or their work um this exists outside of that sort of sort joker of is kind of an artist a stand-up comedian aspiring stand-up comedian he, joker is like most of us <laughs> he's living somewhere smaller than he wants to potentially with a parent and has <laughs> mental health issues <laughs> so i think there's a lot for you all to relate to here um, but the reason we're talking about it the week after finishing talking about Frida as our part of our once a month artist thing is that I love, again, regardless of what anyone thinks about, when a movie reaches a point in the cultural discussion where it's being talked about this much, because that means uh, us as people who make movies, who appreciate movies, still have a place in a cultural conversation mm. that is becoming progressively revolved around TikTok. So, <laughs> um, li long live long form media mm. and the Cineplex. Yes. Um, but the movie I also liked and I, um, I think I've liked having, you know, four days or whatever to, to think about it and sort of figure out, um, you know, I don't think it's, the best movie ever made, which is like a dumb criticism to even mention. <laughs> it's like, 
it is very hard for a movie to be the best movie ever made. Um, so I, I do think there's things to point out, but overall, I also wrote, I also liked it. And I think that, um, if we can be a positive voice in the conversation about the movie, I would like to be that. Mm. So I don't know what, what, what sticks out to you specifically that you want to touch on? Um, I, I, th- there's so many angles. I mean, I was just looking at IMDb pro cause I was just remembering it like broke the record for biggest, I think talking about the commercial value is I- an important part of the conversation because it is a quote unquote comic book movie that has had the biggest October opening of any film ever. And I'm looking here, it says the budget was an estimated $55 million dollars. And right now, gross U.S. and Canada, $120 million. This is as of the 9th. And gross in the world, $272 million. So this is a very financially successful movie. It's made all its money back and then some. It's also, I think the thing that fascinates me by that, and we talked about this when this, before the movie came out, like the niche, but also not niche of this movie, like it, it's uh, the Joker. So all comic book people, like Marvel people, DC people, are gonna flock to this. But then it's also Joaquin Phoenix in a gritty character study. That won Venice, right? That won Venice. <laughs> that won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, and is like constantly being compared to Scorsese's seventies and early eighties films. So it's like, okay, so you get the. Marvel big blockbuster people who like they go to the theater to see that stuff and then you get the people who are kind of like I'm above Marvel <laughs> but the Nolan Batmans yeah you get those people so it's like this is a this is actually a really rare well rare film but also well placed <laughs> yeah in the market mm-hmm. um almost like an obvious like take the comic book source material to some degree but then make the movie you want to make as a mm-hmm. filmmaker, which I think for Todd Phillips, who directed and, and co-wrote it, it was uh, really an homage to those gritty movies from 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a ton of talk about the visuals, which I think are great. Yeah, you I know? do too. The, what, the yeah. cinematography is awesome. And it made me think about, and this is like a realization I had yesterday, and that we sort of bestow too much credit to cinematographers sometimes because truly the art direction, the production designers, the costume designers, um, all of those people did a great job with this film. They fill the frame. They fill the frame to shoot and the makeup. (laughs) If Todd Phillips, director of the Hanover, um, (laughs) framed all these shots and the cinematographer just lit, then he deserves a little credit for, uh, this having more intentional framing that feels more like the master or her than comic book movies. Totally. <laughs> which, which was tripping me up because I'm like, it's a walking movie. It's a walking movie. With these kinds of frames. Yeah. But it's technically yeah. a superhero movie. Or it's not a superhero movie because there's no superhero in it. Right. And there's it's no baby s- Batman. There's no superpowers in it. <laughs> also. Right. Which uh, I guess there's not in the Batman stuff either. Right. But. For some reason, I've had it, which is this is just completely not true. But like in terms of filmmaking, it's like 
and maybe it's maybe it's like a David Fincher thing where it's like, oh, this is a tripod movie, or this is a handheld uh-huh. kind of shaky movie, <laughs> yeah, or this is a Terrence Malick. It's just like it's all floating, uh-huh. and it, you kind of have to choose one. But I guess that's not true, right? Like depending no. on the film or the story, you can mix mm-hmm. kind of how you shoot the train sequence where the Wall Street guy execution yeah. <laughs> happens came to mind that's like the the inside of the train is handheld and matches this shaky train yeah but when he walks out of that train and the camera's across the other side of the tracks it's like a dolly and and dollies with him yeah as he does that crazy walk yes is pretty awesome so precise yeah yeah that's interesting maybe we can talk about just our main things of what we like about it mm-hmm. and then we can dive into what other people don't like about it and, and why they're about, wrong. And talk about why we don't like that. <laughs> right. um, but I, we talked about this movie being really well paced. Yes. I think it's well paced. And you know what? I'm going to jump the gun and start railing critics now. Um, <laughs> uh, people saying it's boring are not well paced. Oh. Who are the same people saying that like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like not boring. Wait, are you serious? You've seen people who loved Once Yes. Like these same people. Yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding me right now? I'm like confused at them being bored with this, but not sitting through Tarantino's actor trailer slice of life. Okay. Let's, (laughs) let's just be clear about something like you and me, Tarantino fans. He's made some of the best films in the last 30 years. I'm done. (laughs) I'm done. Stop. Shut up. You are so annoying. There's only a few people who I will publicly go after yeah, <laughs> because I don't want to be mean for no reason. Quentin Tarantino is so annoying. Yeah. And hearing him talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood saying, I just realized that the characters were so good that I didn't need a story. No, <laughs> that's not a thing. No. Your not. movie's boring. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I could look at Brad Pitt's face all day. Yeah. He's great. Leonardo's great. Margot Robbie's great, even though her character kind of sadly just has nothing. Mm-hmm. But that's the point. I get that. But like nothing happens in that movie. That movie is boring until the last 15 minutes. Yeah. Which Every is... three minutes, something is turning in Joker. Right. Right. Which is sort of what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Like to make a character study where like literally the same actor is in every scene to make that engaging because conflict keeps you know the turning points keep happening where it's like something good something bad something bad something good you know to keep Mm -hmm. turning that and it move along at a at a way that keeps you engaged Mm -hmm. it's so impressive to me that does not happen in once upon a time Mm -hmm. so i i like the pacing (laughs) yes yeah i do too um the actors are great uh, Joaquin, obviously. I also enjoy um, Robert De Niro in this role. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's usually grumpy these days. Yep. So to see him kind of in this, um, you That's know. life. Yeah, just kind of game show host. Not game show. Talk show. Talk show. Late night. Um, type of guy who, like, does slow 360s and does fun things with his yes. hands. It's just fun, you know. It yeah, is fun it is. to see him. A lot of makeup. Pretend to be happy. Because um, <laughs> you know he's not. 
<laughs> you know he's not. Um, but I mean, like all, as you would say, I think the formal elements of the movie, I like all the music in it. Mm-hmm. It fits. I like the look of it. Like we were it. saying earlier how the like the Joker makeup, yes, is so good. Yes, it's like distinct from all the other Jokers, mm-hmm. but it just it completely works mm-hmm. for this Joker. The the triangles, the tear mm-hmm. uh, that appears periodically. I love this era of New York City, and it works mm-hmm. really well for the story. I agree, and we obviously just like carry these taxi driver associations with it, but it's. <laughs> I told you this, but immediately after our screening, I was in the bathroom and two 19-year-olds were talking and saying how it should have been a modern day. <laughs> I was just like, why? Like, it's totally yeah, fine. You don't you don't want Joker origin story to be on a cell phone. <laughs> no. You don't want him texting his mom that he's going to be home late. No, I don't think so. All movies should be period pieces from now on, so we don't have to deal with phones. Yeah. Yeah. It hurts dramatists' ability to write. It does. <laughs> it, it makes it harder. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, so we want to stay in things we like. Let's talk about Joaquin's performance specifically, because I notice a lot of people, a lot of people, it's like they're not even assessing it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it was so, it's so great, but it's so great, but. Yeah. Um, and then talking about other things, um, you know, the master Paul Thomas Anderson's film, it's a favorite film of both of us. I love, I think his performance in the master is tops and he's just done some really great work over the years. What do you, what do you think this role specifically? Cause the first time I, I think I was less focused on it. I was more impacted by obsessively trying to analyze what is this movie trying to say? What is its theme? What is it communicating? Second time I was able to enjoy his performance a little more. Why do you think people are saying it's great? Why do you think they're saying he's going to get an Oscar nod? I I think I just like that, even though I don't really know a ton about the animated series, or nor that I see Jared Leto's weird thing that he did <laughs> in yeah. Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. The dumbest name for a movie I've ever heard of. Um, So I haven't even seen those. But I assume that Joaquin's portrayal of the Joker here is original. And it feels fresh. Yeah. And I feel like as much as I do love Heath Ledger as the Joker, it's funny how it kind of proves how story structure and the way characters are positioned impacts your ability to portray them to an audience so in the dark knight the like the joker is the antagonist he is the bad guy yep we can't be completely let into his psyche because he has to remain mysterious and one-upping batman Mm -hmm. throughout that story he has to be chaos yeah we we can't empathize with him right the story breaks down right but in this one our our main character is that character thus we're able to (laughs) see him deal with a medical condition that forces him to laugh yeah, uh, involuntarily. Um, did you like that? I did like that. Yeah. Because uh, whenever he acted it out, too, you saw that battle and pain yeah. that was, was hard to watch. uncomfortable, but also intriguing. Yeah. Um, which I think kind of describes 
a lot of the movie is like, yeah. it's uncomfortable, but intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think why, I mean, I almost wonder if Joaquin's performance could be summed up in that laugh where it's like, he's, he's doing two things at the same time when he breaks into that laugh, mm-hmm. which is extremely difficult to do. Mm-hmm. He's like laughing, but then simultaneously pain and regret and fear is mm-hmm. coming out. But then he's also laughing and he's mm-hmm. just kind of like seamlessly switching back and forth between those things. Um, th- which th- that sort of made me think of, again, not, not being a comic book person, a superhero person. I don't really have, I, I feel no sense of like, well, that's not joke. That's not the Joker, you know, like yeah. that, you know, the, the, the animated, the comic books, the the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. that's the real, like, I just don't have any of that fake IP nonsense. Mm-hmm. None of this is my intellectual property. I got no dog in the fight of what someone wants to do. So I've heard a complaint of this is a terrible Joker origin story. Uh-huh. And I've also heard the there shouldn't be a Joker origin story. What you know? is that? That's like a because Joker is an agent of chaos, an origin story that kind of like gives him a why. Like, why did he become an agent of chaos? Mm-hmm. Defeats the purpose of the character. I'm just like, I don't care yeah. about any of that. <laughs> yeah. Like, that argument easily applied to Han Solo for me, but not for <laughs> yes. the Joker. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. His origin story is... As interesting, if not more interesting than any act of chaos he would enact. Right. <laughs> um, right. I want to say really quick about his performance that, like, I, as deranged as he is ultimately mm-hmm. and things he does throughout the movie, I find him incredibly cute. Yeah. <laughs> like, when like he's... little boy. Yeah. Like, the fantasy he has of, like, going on the Murray Franklin show. Yeah, just, like, twisting his shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> like... He looks like a video you see on the internet of like a puppy that's been tied up in the woods <laughs> and someone rescues the puppy and yeah. gradually like, like, I want to do that to Arthur Fleck. Yes. yes. <laughs> like I yeah. have, I want to give him a hug. But even that first scene, I mean, the first scene of the film. The way he like whimpers in the alley when he's uh, on the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Cute. Sympathetic. <laughs> He does, uh, I think, the range of the performance where it's like the cutesy puppy dog hurt and then the mentally ill struggling in between, mm-hmm. um, like, shot, like especially with the Wall Street guys, kind mm-hmm. of shocked that he's doing what he's doing yeah. and then terrified by it mm-hmm. uh, before that bathroom scene. But yeah. then also the kind of like evolution by the end of the film where mm-hmm. there is this dark power mm-hmm. that overcomes him and that final that final um psych eval or whatever is how you know mm-hmm. i was just thinking of a joke you wouldn't get it mm-hmm. like it's just evil yeah but like the range of that yeah like constantly making us feel empathetic for him but then being like no, I'm mm-hmm. I'm a destroyer. Yeah. I think another reason I love him as a performer a lot is uh, 
his eyes are crazy. Mm. He can do so much with his face and his eyes. Mm-hmm. But he also has so much physicality. It's like yep. when he reaches through that gate and grabs that folder from that guy. Yes. Like his physicality exudes so much energy that it like breaks through the screen. <laughs> yeah. And it like he he almost like Joaquin's performances often like almost make it feel like theater because he's exuding yep. so much physical yep. exertion and energy. And yeah. ability to fling his body. And, like, yeah. it's it's totally that, like, classic Buster Keaton mm-hmm. type of thing. He acts from head to toe. Yeah. Like, even, yeah, no matter the frame, it's just, like, his whole body is engaged in the character. Yeah. If he's leaning into a mirror and perfectly still, there's, it's boiling. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, it's really impressive. I connected to the performance. I had a question that's been running through my mind because again, and I mentioned this already, every, every review I read and everyone on the film stage podcast, which was four, four people discussing the film, everyone talked about how great Joaquin's performance is, but this is a bad movie, which kind of got me thinking, like, I understand the concept of a movie can be bad and an actor can take bad material and make it better than it is and kind of improve upon the script. But I'm curious your thoughts on can, can we really say that like, this is an amazing performance and this is a bad movie. I'm like wondering what the relationship or what the distance is between those things. And I don't know I'm just springing this question on you. I don't necessarily have an answer. This movie is making me feel like, you can't have a great performance in a bad movie. You can have like a good, maybe a good performance in a bad movie or a a great performance in an okay movie. Mm -hmm. Well, what comes to mind is you're an actor. So Mm -hmm. you appreciate that element of movies. Completely. Maybe even a little more than the average critic. No, that's completely true. Um, Whereas a critic... Critics get super hung up on the most minute story choices. They really do. And they, they don't really do. they don't let those things go. And to yeah. that and maybe they are being too general and just on a semantics mm-hmm. level when they say great performance but bad movie, what they should say maybe or maybe what they mean is like, I really like this performance and where they took it, but uh the writing or <laughs> the story. <laughs> Right. You know, I think it's just kind of, but yeah, it's like the actor is really ingrained in a part of the movie. Right. So if that's really great, that should immediately mean that the movie's not a D or an F. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. That's what I, so it's, I guess it has to do with how much stock you put in is our movies about acting yeah. more or story or I don't know. Yeah. That makes sense. I, f- I feel like I've always been for, for more more of my life than not, I am watching movies for uh, the acting, mm-hmm. for the performance. Mm-hmm. And then as I've gotten older and interested in making my own stories and producing and doing a lot of theater, you know, my interest has grown to, is this a good story? Do, you know, does the movie work? And trying to wrap my head around that. But yeah, I think it's a, acting will always be my first love. So it, it perturbs me when it's 
great performance, bad movie. I'm like, well, how is that possible? If And we, we've talked about this where acting in, in the film, maybe not in like the Hollywood system, because I think actors are worshipped in the Hollywood system, but in the educational system, like film school, and maybe even at the indie level, there's a lot more energy put into the technical elements and making sure things look good and sound good and maybe even the script. And it's like actors are just the thing you insert to fulfill the director's vision. Um, But you've always had a sense from watching you make films where actors are the things you see on screen. They are the movie. They are the movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's so important Mm -hmm. that it works and that it's good. And that's of course not to the detriment of like, you can't have bad sound. Right. You know, right. That's what makes filmmaking so difficult in my purview, in my limited experience is for, for it to be, for a film to be passable or watchable, there are, multiple elements that need to be at least decent, if not good. Theater is much more simple, you know, dance is much more simple Mm -hmm. in terms of the elements that are required from a technical standpoint. Painting is more simple, you know, Uh, it's just complex. Uh The making of it is complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just in terms of the steps involved, Mm because directing acting for the stage is like, are you blocked and are you, like off book and are you in the moment and listening Yeah, and has the director done a good job of just like inserting you on different levels or adding enough variance um i wanted to ask now like what are what are criticisms you have of the movie there's one specific plot point that both times watching it i i was a little irked by and it's when what's the guy's name He's the he's uh, the Yellow King from True Detective. And oh he's yeah, Goran from I don't remember his name. Barry, Arthur Randall. Co- Randall, Randall, Randall. Yeah, yeah. So the big bald guy who works at the clown place or whatever gives him a gun. Mm-hmm. That just seemed. I think the Randall character just confused me a little bit, mainly because that action was like our introduction to him Hmm. and like him getting that gun is so important for the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that is his weapon. Mm -hmm. And Randall is just kind of like, I heard you got beat up. It's scary out there, man. Here, take this. Wonderful. It would helped for Arthur to see him give another gun to someone else or pack his gun. Yeah. And then the second time we see Randall is when Randall offers it to him. Right. Or Arthur asks about it. But maybe the point is they don't want, they want, he, that's interesting. It's like, they want him to be the receiver of it. Uh So we empathize with him more maybe Mm -hmm. rather than he's reaching for a gun to, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That just, it felt a little bit rushed or out of nowhere, but I was willing to, Mm-hmm. roll with it for the mm-hmm. that that's the thing like you said critics getting hung up on specific story points mm-hmm. that's just like a thing where it's like oh that's weird but i just don't get i don't let it ruin a movie for me right right what are un- unpardonable sins to you right and then what are ones that 
are like, okay, well, that was 12 seconds yes. of two hours. Yeah. And unpardonable sin is when half a movie is keeping a piece of information from a character so you can keep it from the audience. Ryan Johnson, <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. Yes. Yeah. That is unpardonable. I will never forgive him for <laughs> The Last Jedi. No. But 12 <laughs> seconds of, you know, the Yellow King. <laughs> giving him a gun. Giving him a gun. It's yeah. like, okay, I can let it slide. Yeah. What about you? I can't, I can't think of anything else right now. Um, some people have, this is just a funny podcast, just like talking bad about other people's bad opinions. <laughs> or like talking bad about other people's bad. <laughs> um, they think the movie's a little all over the place. Trying to put too much into it. Yeah. Trying to cram in certain philosophies and political things. Yeah. Like a thematic shotgun blast. Without making statements on them. And as soon as I hear that, I'm like, well, what statement do you want? Yep. Do you really want a statement? Do you want dialogue yep. to like... So I, I wanted to acknowledge that like I um, I do understand that a bit in terms of like... This movie is spreading out a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's, I do think it's doing that, but it didn't do it in a way that bothered me personally. Um, I think that movies should be able to portray things for like five or eight minutes of mm -hmm. the whole screen time. And in this, it's class warfare. Yep. You know? And we can appreciate that as a layer. Right. And not criticizing it for not being an overt enough philosophy. Right. Because if we were to like dive into that a bunch more, then it'd be propaganda. It, it's not a story. Yeah. It's philosophy or it's politics. Yeah. So that's something that like I criticize a tiny bit, yeah. but I think I see and I, I more so appreciate the value that um, those elements bring to the story in terms of applying to what's happening today and mm -hmm. um like thomas wayne as a character is clearly trumpian <laughs> like that and it really it, it was almost too much yeah. when it's like the shots of like uh people protesting the uh, things that the signs say and then the one like fake thomas wayne thing yeah. i'm like oh my gosh that's exactly like the <laughs> fat trump blimp that's like welcoming him when he comes to london yes. and stuff like that yes um so there's there's clearly this character might have been turned up a little too much. That could be a sure. Yeah, yeah. I I think I'm gonna see it again too, um, and I'm I'm excited for that. Mm -hmm. um, there's criticism that like his ambiguity in relationship to them is not really helpful to the story, um, like, or something that should have shouldn't have been ambiguous. But dad or not dad, that I whole think thing. if we're in this like intensely subjective movie where we're with Arthur or Joker and he doesn't know like I appreciate yeah. that contributing to his own disillusionment yeah. and lack of identity Yeah, that doesn't come about until there's 300 clown people and a burning city around him <laughs> which right. it's interesting that like Joaquin can like stand on a cop car for two whole minutes of screen time <laughs> and I was like not waiting for it to cut away yeah I was like, hey, that like, was a very long shot. Yeah. Like just a long sequence. He earned it. I think 
another criticism I can kind of see is are there too many are they trying to cram too many moments of empathy for Arthur? Yeah. When there's like enough there for us to work with. Mm. And I said this like as soon as we got out, I think was it's like the second time this clown man is like beat up by kids. <laughs> I'm like, what do these kids in New York City <laughs> in this decade have against clowns? Like, why are they beating him up? Uh, yeah. so it's sort of like an unmotivated yeah, little, story coincidence right. a little bit to like, it's like, it's a good story. You could call it a gimmick. You could call it a cheat or you could call it like a Pixar rule of thumb to like start with pity. Yeah. Start with him getting his sign stolen. But I think when that happens a second time without. What was the second time? Well, it's the Wall Street guys. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, which. It's satisfying in a, in a weird, like, violent retribution yeah. audience member sense. Yeah. Like, the part of humanity that buys Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> like, uh, I like when that happens in the story, but it's like, when they first kick him down and it's like, stay down, freak. I'm like, well, come on. <laughs> like, what is this? Yeah. Um, I think, so I've talked talked about some criticisms that I don't fully hate the movie yeah, for right you know a couple right. things that are small um the last thing that i'm like pretty firm about is that i just think bruce wayne should not be in this movie mm. and like trying to squeeze him in is just trying to like appease dc i, I almost <laughs> i almost thought it, like that part of it to me was like did DC did the executive did the producers or whoever whoever the overlords of Todd Phillips are did they say Bruce Wayne has to be in this like Bat Batman has to be it feels like someone said he has to be in this because yeah. it doesn't feel like the creators wanted him to be in it right <laughs> um, it's like if it's an origin story where we're focusing more on Thomas Wayne like let's just do that exactly and, and stick it about him. the kid the kid's not born yet. Yeah. You know, and let's yeah. enjoy that prequelness. Yeah. But it's like, no, remember like I don't know. It's they Thomas Wayne also seemed old. Him and his wife seemed old. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were old. <laughs> I, I kinda I, Yeah. Batman Begins is Bruce Wayne's origin story. Right. So it's like it's a weird duplicate of him. Yeah. Command C, Command V to this movie. <laughs> A decade or so earlier. Well, like 20 years earlier. And it's just yeah. kind of confusing. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're when you're adapting this comic book stuff, you just shape it to your own timetable. Yeah. There's not like a Joker. Joker and Batman happened in the 80s. It's yeah. Like, I, you, you just have to I do appreciate not caring do. about other the yeah. other movies and like the existing yeah. canon, if I dare call anything that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um so, I, I mean, connected to the themes kind of being all over the place, which which I've seen as a criticism, it's like this movie doesn't choose – this movie doesn't choose a political position. It just kind of like throws all this stuff out there. And it's like the, the conservative critique is look at the danger of Antifa. Mm -hmm. And the liberal critique is incel, straight white guy – Entitlement, mm -hmm. scary, angry. Mm -hmm. um, you know why are we why are we propping up this story? Why are we even telling this story? Why are we empathizing with this character? 
Um, and I, especially after the first time watching it, I felt so confused, confused slash uh, undecided about like what what is this movie like? Which thing is it latching onto? What what theme is it hitting home? What? And I love that. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, when I wake up the next morning. And I've probably had weird dreams that I don't remember about a movie I saw. And I'm just like in the shower and I'm just kind of like struggling with a movie like this happened when I watched First Reformed. (laughs) Um, I really love that feeling when a movie sticks with you. Um, It's like a a few weeks ago, I went and saw The Peanut Butter Falcon, which was, you know, lovely movie. Love the, the actors were great. The story was cute, but it was like. It's the Anne Bogart E.T. thing. It's just mm. like, it means one thing to every audience member. Mm-hmm. And you just don't, like, you get the meaning, you open it, it looks very clear. Mm-hmm. And then you already agreed with it before you walked in to the movie. So it doesn't really challenge you anyway. And maybe it reminds you of something or makes you feel something in the moment, which I think is great. Um, but then the next day you're not thinking about it mm-hmm. or you're not wrestling with it or you're not struggling with it. And so I read, I, I read that the one positive re- review I read talked about this being like a political Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. It's like you come D- into define the Rorschach test for everyone. So do you, yeah, Rorschach test. It's that it's the pictures where, um, you show them to someone and they could look like this or they could look like that. Right. You know, it could be the the woman's face or the glass of wine, mm-hmm. you know, depending on you, you kind of see into it what you want to see mm. into it. Mm-hmm. So like the movie paints a Rorschach test for whatever political bias you walk into the film with, mm-hmm. you could leave being like, this is what it meant. And this is what it was about. Someone on the opposite ideological spectrum could leave with an opposite idea. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that in and of itself is good, where it's like free for all, leave with whatever you want. I think there's there's almost like a meta critique going on that look how you just turned this movie into whatever you wanted it to be. Like that's kind of what we do in culture, in society. We come into things with predetermined meaning, predetermined bias, and then we shape the narrative around the thing that helps us survive, the thing that helps us thrive, uh, the thing that we already believed in before we got there. And so I think that I try to be skeptical of myself. I try to be skeptical of a filmmaker's point of view. And this movie was just very disruptive to that process personally, which I appreciated. When, when people talk about this movie thematically, what are the main, what's like the main thing that you, that people have sort of defined it as? It's, it's, it's interesting. Like one thing I read was like, went in on the, why do we as a culture love watching chaos occur? One was, this movie thinks it's smarter than it is. I hate that critique. I see that a lot. Yeah. I see that one a lot. But it yeah. doesn't really break down what it what they mean by that. 
Um, one of them was it's all over the place. It didn't choose a point of view, mm-hmm. which I wish they would have just chose a political position and run with that, mm-hmm. which I also don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really haven't seen someone besides this one reviewer talking about the Rorschach test that really um, pulls out their meaning of it. Me personally, I would because of the lead up to the film, which maybe we should talk about too, just like the media frenzy that was so horrible yeah. surrounding this film. Yeah. I walked into this movie thinking I was going to receive something very different from what I walked out of. I was expecting this kind of like get shot in the chest. But <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> right. right. But like this very yeah, like incel scary white guy who becomes a mass murderer and like almost glorifying that. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was the thing that I was afraid I was walking into. Mm-hmm. And after the first viewing, I was like the class warfare thing really that's stuck what, out. That's me. what sticks out to me. And I'm like, so curious as to why democratic socialists aren't using this I know. as like their commentary or their like, I know eat the talking rich about it. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I don't know why that sector is not talking about yeah, it right now because they've been giving this on a silver platter, and I I don't need Walking Phoenix reading dialogue as Arthur Fleck as the Joker about why we should eat the rich. No, <laughs> I just appreciate that it's portrayed, right? <laughs> and I right. think we need more portrayals that question extreme wealth. Yeah. And this is a rare movie that we've gotten in America and the world that poses that question. Yeah. Like, and it's, and I appreciate like, um, Arthur's position as like, uh, as the log line. And I think himself says as like someone who's been disregarded as society by society, mm-hmm. um, looking up to this Trumpian figure mm-hmm. to pull me out from the weeds yep. and thinking that that's my dad. Yeah. And Americans think like wealth is their dad. Yeah. And they they want dad's help. Mm, <laughs> so good. like for Arthur to ultimately conclude to go to war against that. Yeah. Is fascinating. And I think what one one um, nuance that made this very jokery for me was it's not just this transition from you know, I'm a loner who doesn't have a dad. Oh, now I have a dad and he's going to save me. Oh, dad was full of shit. So now I'm going to kill everyone. You know, the last the, the last arc of that is I don't believe in anything. Mm-hmm. I'm a I, I, I don't care about these. I mm-hmm. I forget what his line is exactly. I don't believe any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, just becomes this sort of apolitical, which he's not. You know, there's no such thing as apolitical, but he claims this. The uprising that I've created, mm-hmm. I'm actually not even a part of. And that's a joker thing to me. That That's a joker thing. Absolutely. And I think it reveals something that's satisfying to me about the movie is like, what does he want? And he wants to be loved and accepted <laughs> and appreciated and recognized. Yeah. And he... Really wants that from Murray Franklin. And mm-hmm. that's like very specific to me in the way as human beings in now a century deep into celebrity culture yep. operate in terms of like we all want celebrities that we love to like know about us yeah. and love us. <laughs> and it's never going to happen. 
you know? <laughs> yep. Um, yep. So we want to be appreciated by that. And we also want to be a figure with like people around us who it's that scene where he's looking around and he sees that he started something that there's people yep. cheering and the look on his face is not about, yes, I can finally destroy this city. It's, right. I've always wanted someone loves me. I've always wanted people around me yeah. looking at me. Yeah. So it's like that need in him. It makes me uh, empathize with him enough almost that, like I didn't need all the right. him getting super literally beat up mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. But that's weird where that, that makes that makes the movie work. I mean, I think when your protagonist is someone who does terrible things and it's like, it's not even an, he's not even an anti-hero. Like he, this is a villain's origin story to be able to introduce the chaos and introduce the violence and introduce the consequences of his actions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's the gooey center of he just wanted friends. He just wanted a community. He just wanted people to love him. Right. Like you layer that in. It makes a story work. Mm -hmm. But you're still also disturbed by the violence and the chaos. Um, Something that's just in my head right now. I want to. A little bit about mental illness, mm-hmm. because that's a huge part of his journey as well. I am. I, it almost feels like in the story, it it functions as a justification. I want to see. I, I wanted to pick your brain on that. Like, is Arthur Fleck a free agent who makes these decisions in his right mind, or is he mentally? ill is he psychotic is he deranged and because of like funding was pulled and Mm -hmm. you're not going to get help and you're not going to get your meds and he goes off his meds and things start getting crazier like what's the the, i think it was like class warfare and then mental health was Mm -hmm. the other thing and i was intrigued by how it functioned in the story and also a little uncomfortable by like are you making it seem like people who are mentally ill are like going to go off the deep end and do terrible things mm-hmm. or I, I don't know. Did you have thoughts about his mental illness? I think it plays into the larger picture of sort of a quality theme that I'm not sick of yet in stories, which mm-hmm. is that people's backgrounds are important to be known and understood and play into our understanding of them. Yeah. It's like Freddie Quill and the master and the processing scene. Yep. And this film is abused as a child. Right. <laughs> when you, it pulls together all these factors. And yeah. I feel like one of the things the movie's trying to say is that when all of these things are stacked against one person, like genetic uh, attachment to mental illness that they mm-hmm. never asked for, yeah. being abused that they never asked for. Um, being lied about being adopted, which mm-hmm. they never asked for, being forced into a competitive urban culture with no real ladder up mm-hmm. <laughs> is something he never asked for. So it's, it's a recipe for something awful to happen. Right. 
I kind of want to review because like we've been talking about him as super empathetic, but other people might have perceived him less empathetic and might be frustrated as right now. So I just want to like run down. I I mean, essentially all the bad things he does are kills people. And there's like a few story points where he kills different people. Yeah. When he suffocates his own mom, does he do that? Because she lied to him for so many years and because he's thinking about being abused or like those Mm. sort of the things. What popped into my head was he doesn't want her to see what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. That was like a part of it in my mind. I don't know if that's rooted in the movie at all. That was just kind of a feeling that I got. That's interesting. It it was like triggered by Uh you lied to me and you did things and allowed things to happen to me. Mm -hmm. But it was also like, it's time for me to stop living in my mother's house. Mm -hmm. I am a new, I'm a different man now. And you have to go. Who are the people he kills? It's like his mom. It's the Elohim guys. Randall. Randall, And then Murray. Murray. The Wall Street guys. And the Wall Street guys. The Wall Street guys, it makes sense. That he kills them, I think. Yeah, there's, it's, there's it's like almost, a self-defense. Yeah. And the mom thing even has a little bit of like the cuckoo's nest thing, literally, where yeah, it's like that. she's also being taken out of her own misery a little bit. Yeah. And problems like, obviously, it's like that wasn't a good thing to do. Right. <laughs> like, it's bad. Right. Well, but exec- I sort of, yeah, same thing with executing the Wall Street guys, like right. even hunting down that third one. Right. And that's why I like that these things are morally complicated. Right. You know, it's like, okay, he's getting the shit beat out of him. So he shoots these guys. Right. I get it. You shouldn't have done that. Right. I get it. You shouldn't have done that. Yeah. It's like putting the audience in that morally compromised position. Right. That's what movies should do. Right. And the fact that I had to bring up that conversation of like, Wait, am I empathizing too much? Let's break it down and try to prove that he was justified, but he wasn't necessarily justified yeah, completely. Exa- yeah, we but can't. The movie, the movie makes me want to justify yeah. his actions based on what it tells yeah. me about its, his background. I think they become less justifiable. Maybe like the Randall, right? I mean, it was brutal, right? And it was because was it because he Randall said that. Um, he lied to the boss mm-hmm. about the gun or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, so that was just like inequitable revenge. Mm-hmm. And then Murray, a public execution because... What's funny is that... He made fun of him. That runs parallel to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, kind of, <laughs> in terms of like Manson murder people wanting to murder a media celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> but in this movie, it actually happens. Yeah. And in that movie, those characters are annoying. Because <laughs> they're like, I'm like, why do these Manson people want to kill people so bad? But in this one, starting with the underprivileged mm-hmm. citizen with mental health problems. Who's ridiculed. As opposed to starting... I don't know why. I'm like... Hate critics for comparing, but I'm also making these comparisons. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood puts us in the privileged position of a has been celebrity actor. Like, man, I just, I just appreciate the. It's, it's funny. Critics truly are kind of annoying because it's like I want to 
what I was about to say is like, and I appreciate the complexity of this movie, mm-hmm. but a critic might say there is no complexity. Oh, it's yeah. just, and then it's just like, okay, you want to make me feel stupid for yep. thinking that there's complexity yeah. here. <laughs> What's the thing? I left feeling conflicted. I left feeling, yeah, I, I left feeling morally exposed and compromised. And I, I guess part of the subjective experience of watching a piece of art is some people will go to something and not have that. And some people will go to something and have that. Um, I think where critics can get in trouble is when they, uh, and we, and we do the same thing. You know, we do it to Ryan Johnson and Tarantino and I do it to Adam McKay because vice is the worst movie that's ever been made. I'm glad that's on record. Me saying that now (laughs) we, we do that too. Uh, but there is, when you're like doing formal criticism, you know, there's a difference between you're sitting around talking with your friends. I mean, I guess we're kind of like doing this publicly now, so it's different. But yeah. sitting around talking with your friends, bitching about this movie or that versus I'm going to write a whole article about why this other movie is better than Joker. <laughs> right. You know, like the full on comparison. Right. Did you feel like when he kills Murray that that wasn't real? For a second, like, did it feel like this isn't really happening? Because uh, it happens after the. For some reason, it felt so egregious. Mm-hmm. But, I think it, it felt real to me because we had like sat in that scene for a while. That's a good point. Yeah, that's true. But not discrediting you feeling that it was dreamlike. I think it was just so crazy. I don't know. Maybe it was just. I think I was shocked. I think that's what it was. I think I was shocked. It's so, uh, the moment Murray gets shot is filmed almost comedically or objectively with this yeah. tripod two shot of them. Yeah. That doesn't move. Yeah. Like you would think it'd be like quick dolly into Joker as he gets out the gun. Yeah. Mm. You know, but it's filmed like. Like it was live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, which I don't know why I laugh at that. I, I was telling Tim on the way home, it's like the. Parts of me that like this movie make me concerned for myself in yes. terms of like, why, why do I like seeing this? <laughs> like, yeah. But I think that's a, that's part of what the movie is doing. It's yeah. making us question, why do we like this? Why are we attracted to yeah. this? I, I think we do have an obsession culturally of understanding ours and others villainy. Oh, absolutely. Like I'm not even, yeah, I'm totally fine compared to all you people out there who listen to like a bunch of podcasts about what is that oh the true crime true stuff. crime oh yeah, yeah. i'm like <laughs> people are obsessed with people that are stuff. obsessed with that yeah getting in the mind of the killer yeah it's like why we're yeah we're, we're creepy <laughs> we have to i think part of it it's like it's very philosophical it's it's almost spiritual where it's like we need to know why evil exists mm-hmm. because something deep within us knows things are not right. Mm-hmm. Something is wrong. Mm-hmm. People are hurting each other. People hurt me. I hurt other people. Something is we're just living in a fallen world, man. <laughs> Something is broken and we really need to know why. Uh-huh. So we make movies about it and we get obsessed with the worst of our species mm-hmm. because that helps us displace our own villainy. It helps us transfer. I don't have to look at myself and my 10% evil because I can look at John Wayne Gacy Jr. at his 98% evil mm. and I can understand him and it keeps me safe and distant from my own 
propensity right for wickedness yeah it's like its own catharsis yeah in a way to see people be worse than you <laughs> oh yes no that's yeah that's classic tim talks for three minutes and andrew sums it up in a sentence <laughs> <laughs> did you ever watch a clockwork orange all the way through no because that that's a movie that i feel like people could be comparing this to mm. in a uh feels weird to say positive way but like that movie is about people in costumes merrily doing evil (laughs) and there's like dancing and interesting use of music. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like that movie's like about different things. Like that movie's more about like, like free will plays into that. Mm -hmm. But I, I, yeah, I'm just surprised that the, the chaos in that movie is not being compared to like the chaos and sort of, social whatever this movie what did you think of the zazie beats character the un- the unreliable narrator yes i was concerned until i found out her true function in the story right because i was like this character is underdeveloped and right. she's with him kind of suddenly yeah. and it feels unbelievable un- not believable yeah um but once her true function is defined as someone on the literal sideline sidelines of his life mm-hmm. that he has no real connection to and is just like a neighbor who he never talks to. That was so sad. Yeah, you're the guy who lives down the hall, right? Like when she said that, I I, I didn't get it until that moment. Right. Did you pick up on it earlier? No. Yeah. I'm I just like that's something where as a movie watcher, I don't do the guessing game. Like right. a lot of people are obsessed with like trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And, oh, I, I called it. And I, do, I think it's horrible. I yeah. just dis- I disavow that method of watching movies. Right. I really like to just receive it as it is. I did not get that until that moment. And it was really hurtful. <laughs> I didn't question it when it happened. Also, like, yeah, it's we've seen a couple really bad movies where it was all a dream or it was all. Yeah. Bad like, gotchas. Bad gotchas. Leia's alive. Yeah. <laughs> but when you position, if you position the character as having mental health problems, mm-hmm. it is not a complete surprise. It's true. And it feels more warranted. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. what happens in Joker. What do you, just, just taking the conversation, I know we're going long, but whatever. We can do whatever we, can we want. We trim it down. We could trim it down. <laughs> Uh, I'll fix it in post. The media lead up, the like premieres at Venice and then someone kicks off the, this is a dangerous movie. Like people shouldn't see this movie. That no film school article, which is the worst thing I've read <laughs> in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just need to call this out. No film school. You're never going to hear this. Like, man, I'm just like going after people today. Now you all know my list. Quentin Tarantino when he's talking. <laughs> Ryan Johnson when he's directing. Last, when he's directing. <laughs> Adam McKay and Vice. Uh, Big Short was great. The comedies are great. Vice is hot garbage. And this No Film School article. A person was like, I, I'm not going to see Joker this weekend. I will never see Joker. And then wrote an entire article about why I shouldn't see Joker either. That is such irresponsible communication yeah yeah that's yeah that's probably the best word so irresponsible but just like this hype and then the the mass shooting thing the dark knight 
incident, which of course is tragic and horrible and sad. Uh, and then the watching the conversation in the week leading up to Joker start to transition to if a shooting happens, it's the media's fault for bringing this up. Like it just got chaotic and annoying. Oh yeah. And then Todd Phillips started talking. The director started talking, which yeah. he never should have. Yeah. Like he never should have said anything. Just like shut up. Yeah. Make your movie. You don't need to oh. say. What was he saying about comedy? It's he like, said he like left comedy because of woke culture. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh bro. my gosh. Like grow up. Yeah. Ugh. Just like you're also just like poking something there's no reason to maybe poke. that's why democratic socialists won't go support this movie maybe because he made a dumb statement or two yeah yeah <laughs> well so i mean obviously i think i've revealed my take on it but did you have any other thoughts on it's almost like a distribution thing like when something is leading up to something and the conversation is already so hot before people have even seen it or only a few people have seen it um and it, it does become something that instills fear. Like you instill fear in people. Like absolutely some people did not go see this movie this weekend because they were afraid mm-hmm. that something would happen. Um, you know, I took a media theory and ethics class in college. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised if like this whole case study is like a or this whole fiasco is a case study for like future students of a course like that. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, I don't really know what to make of it because I don't think something exactly like it has happened before. Um, yeah, so there's like not a reference point for mm-hmm. me to analyze it from. Um, but it says that we're living in like a post Las Vegas and Pittsburgh and all these other shootings culture mm-hmm. that is like extra on guard and for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I should just say really quick that um, I snuck four 16-ounce Miller High Lifes, <laughs> a bag of Swedish fish, and two Butterfinger peanut butter cups, which I found it existed that day, <laughs> into kind of a trench coat and brought it into a movie theater that had four policemen. In like SWAT gear. In SWAT gear. Like they're wearing bulletproof vests. Um, who did not stop me. And yeah, I'm like, that was insane. I was like, what is, what are, what is the point of view if you did not stop me? Yeah. Like, cause we were like, you know, nobody wants to buy $8 popcorn and an $8 bottle of water and a $14 beer. Like nobody wants to do that. So we're going to bring our own drinks and snacks <laughs> yeah. in the movie theater yeah. cause we're silly Americans. Yeah. So I, I Andrew know. had a pea coat over his arm, just <laughs> hanging, like hanging over his arm, just like a coat walking along all jolly full of this stuff. And there's just like six foot three jacked out of their mind cops walking by on their phone in an empty movie theater at 10 PM at night. So we are the only subjects that they could possibly look at (laughs) and they're not hiding. None of them even stopped to look at me. No, no one even looked like I, I would have felt like a second or two of their hesitation, but like they did not even. And the first thing we said was like, that's privilege right there. Like we just, cause, cause whenever you're sneaking something into a movie theater, you always put on the, I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. Like you put on that act yeah. and we just put on the happy going to the movie 
white guys. Yeah. No one better than I. Yeah. Yeah. I I made it a point to be smiling the entire time <laughs> that I was walking through the movie theater lobby. And I like kept talking to you to <laughs> yes. make me feel natural about it. Like I wasn't just like smiling, but I tried to look like I wasn't a mentally deranged person. Um Something I, uh, this keeps going on and on. Um, the whole, like this movie is not about an incel. Um, yes. And I had forgot what that term even meant. Um, <laughs> Involuntary celibate. And had to like look it up. And that movement was started by a woman in college in the late nineties. She started a website. Really? And I think she, like, sold it to someone or gave the rights. But I think it started as, like, a healthy internet forum for people to discuss issues of involuntary celibacy. And now we associate it with, like, men who think they deserve something. Yeah. So I... But one thing I have questioned is, like, why do we... uh, And I'm sure that that internet community and subculture has done it to themselves mm-hmm. in terms of creating a persona that is unfavorable for them. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I don't know. Again, it's like, I'm scared to over empathize, but I question why we completely lack empathy for people who are upset that they like can't find a sexual partner. <laughs> And, and and the people that are on these forums, doesn't that mean that they're not seeking sex trafficking victims or prostitutes and they're not taking advantage of women in that way, you mm-hmm. know, and not not every person on these in these online communities, I assume I assume most of them are men these days. That's kind of what I right. hear. But right. um I mean I haven't done enough research on the movement other than like a Twitter buzzword. Right. Um, but it's sort of like people who are, you know, for whatever reason, maybe like, they're mentally ill or they're socially awkward or they're, I don't know, whatever they may be. They might be disabled. Yeah. People on there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like we as a culture haven't questioned at all. We just assume that it's like, Angry men who like are borderline rapists. Yeah, saying they deserve sex, and which, you know, the answer to that is to not find a way to give it to them. But I think <sighs> the answer is listen and let's try to get the full picture of like, mm-hmm. are there people that should that should be listened to from these communities? Right. Who, because right. um, c- we're like, there's a lot of statistics of millennials being less sexually active than yeah. like we and. Uh, that's a big thing in Japan right now. And like UK is like, you know, we talked about this before, like this minister of loneliness thing, like yep. there, this is going to become a bigger problem. Yep. <laughs> like people being isolated and having their yep. sex robots. And like, yep. <laughs> yep. so I question disregarding this issue and the word incel purely being something to like make fun of mm-hmm. and yeah. not, I don't know. Listen to. Well, yeah, not listen to and not maybe create healthier communities to address those things. Right. Rather than just critique what exists. Like, where is the, where's the thing that helps with this stuff? Right. Like the minister of loneliness, like things in your community, like meetup groups and 
uh, churches function this way. Um, the theater company I'm a part of functions this mm-hmm. way. Coffee shops function this way. Just like communal spaces where people can connect with other people and actually discuss there. Mm-hmm. I struggle to find a romantic partner. Right. I always have. I think it's because of this and it's because of this and I'm perceived this way. And yeah, it's like creating healthy avenues to address those things rather than continual ostracizing and criticism, which just like perpetuates bad behavior. It encourages bad behavior. It elicits the very thing that the criticism is criticizing. Mm -hmm. It creates the soil for that stuff to grow in. But it's constantly proved to me that like sex is still such a taboo in culture, regardless of where you are. Yeah. Cause I think quick brushing off and using that term as something that's just negative, I think proves that culture as a whole has like problems with sex Mm -hmm. and sex shaming. Yeah. Um, and not just, fundamentalists <laughs> yeah no that's that's a great great point great critique and i think bring, just bringing it back to the movie it just reinforces the tragic nature of arthur and him wanting to be loved it's yeah. like him wanting to form a connection with his neighbor mm-hmm. um is natural <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it is and the fact that he doesn't ever do anything that's like super concerning besides sitting on her couch. Right. Going in her apartment. Which again, I get it, but you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's morally complex. Yeah. Well, I feel for some reason going into uh, going into someone's apartment and sitting there it, seems more worse. That's worse than killing people. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't walk into someone's place. No. No, no, no. never. <laughs> I think it's cool that I want to see it a second time, but I do question, will this be a movie that I want to buy? Like I do like buying some movies, uh, ones that I think I want to watch again. I'm trying to figure out if this is a movie that will like last, will last seen as an indicator of something in this era that's Mm. profound that maybe we don't see right now. Um, or, or not zeitgeist or is it complete zeitgeist yeah. that will be seen as like fantastic four <laughs> in 10 years very silver surfer <laughs> yeah uh, so i i don't have the answer to that like i don't i wouldn't say this movie's a masterpiece no. but i think it has um i think it's worthwhile yeah <laughs> yeah i agree <laughs>